And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Mary Bergstrom. Mary had a near-death experience in 2013 due to a heart attack, and today we're going to talk about it. Mary, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. My audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, so if you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened? Sure. So I was living with my family in um, Shanghai, China at the time, and uh, I was planning on going to yoga with my husband. I was really excited. I had um, made arrangements for a babysitter to take care of the kids, and I was going to go to this yoga class. I was so excited. He normally wouldn't go with me, but he finally agreed to come with me to yoga. And um, I was talking on the phone with a friend of mine, just very casually, and my heart started feeling some pressure. And I kept talking, just kind of hoping maybe it'll go away. And I felt the pressure again. And it got deeper. And um I said, I need to get off the phone because I need to make sure that everything is okay. I got off the phone. Um, I felt immediately that everything was not okay. So I grabbed some things, put them in a bag and told my husband that I needed to leave. Um, I went to say goodbye to my kids, give them a quick kiss, tried to act like everything is normal um, because I knew I was having a heart attack and I knew that I needed to get to the hospital quickly. And my husband was having a conversation with the kids' godfathers on Skype. And I just said, I'm sorry, I got to go now. Put on flip-flops, went downstairs. My husband, you know, came and helped me. And he said, what's going on? I told him it was the heart. And um, immediately he tried to help me get a taxi. And, you know, in China, um, there was on Sunday morning, we lived in an area that was like, you know, locals only, but there were a couple of bars. And on a Sunday morning, there just were not taxis. And so we were waiting and waiting. And I was just feeling worse and worse. And um, I just felt like I was having an asthma attack in my heart. And so I you know, was slumped over against a pool while he was looking for a taxi. We thought we had one and um, we were so relieved. We were so excited. And then it got taken by another couple in front of us. And so we waited again. And while I was waiting, I just um, started feeling lighter and lighter. And I said, you know, please, God, please help me you know, like pour, poured everything that I possibly could into this prayer for someone to help me. And I felt um, a presence like a hammock, like I was being held in like a, a golden hammock. And um, not literally, but just figuratively, I just felt very held in that moment. And um, meanwhile, I was like slouched over on the street <laughs> while my husband was um, looking for a taxi. He finally gets a taxi, gets me inside of it. And I just start thinking about my grandfather. Um, and he's the one that I believe was also the one that was holding me in the hammock and the one that responded to me. And I started thinking about his hands as we were driving. And I just was concentrating on the, the, the look of his hands and, you know, the veins in his hands, the bones of his hands, everything about him and his hands. And then we got to the hospital and, um, the 
taxi couldn't get any closer to the emergency room. So I had to walk across the parking lot and I just was, I mean, I'd been doing as much as I possibly could to stay with us, you know, the entire time. And um, I felt like a cowboy in a Western, you know, trying to get across this long last acre and the, um, the doors of the emergency room came open and I went through felt like, you know, a cowboy again. And meanwhile, my heart is still, you know, pushing up against me. And it's just so, this is so ridiculous because I'm thinking, oh my God, am I going to die, you know, in the parking lot? Like, am I dying in the taxi? Am I dying before I get a taxi? Um, am I dying telling my kids I just went to yoga? And um, so I get in there, they take my vital signs and they think I'm crazy because, you know, I'm, um, I don't look like I'm old enough to be having a heart attack is what they're thinking. And uh, so they take all of my vitals and I am trying to relax, trying to feel like the relief that is the sheets, the relief that is the room, the relief that is the machines. And um, my husband came in he says, what can I do to help you? And I don't feel my grandfather there anymore. So I say, could you please read me an article from the magazine? He's trying to keep my attention, trying to keep me as focused as he possibly can. Meanwhile, I'm feeling lighter and lighter again. And they've taken the EKG. They've given me the nitro. They're doing the blood work. They're doing everything they can, but I'm just feeling lighter and lighter. And so while he's trying to find a story to tell me, I swing into um, the other side. And on the other side, I saw, um, I was on like a swing set and there was a little girl beside me on my left and she was like five or six years old. And she was swinging out really long extensions and coming back, really long extensions and coming back. And she was giggling and her hair was, kind of obstructing um, her face. So I couldn't see what she looked like, but her voice was like bubbles. She was just so effervescent and so um, happy. And so I was being held back on the ropes and I was waiting to see, am I going to be you know, brought forward? And I just started clocking everything around me. And there's the little girl who's making me feel very um, like happy, joyous and then below me is white like white clouds but not a white that had any depth so normally if you're you know up above something you would look down and you would say oh that's about five feet I could jump or there's this step and this step but there was nothing like that and I didn't feel any concern about it even though I didn't see like any way to get down I didn't know where I was um, I felt really safe in that space. And in front of me was um, a sunset, like the brightest sunset I'd ever seen in my life. Just, just all pigment, just all saturation. And on the left-hand side, um, beyond the little girl, was this huge white light, which would be like a white sun, but really close. And um, I knew instinctively that that was a space that was really a big deal and that I was not ready to go there by myself. 
but I was really also interested in it. And I kind of felt like the natural progression would be for me to go into that space. And um, so I remember feeling, and this happened in like an instant, but I just remember feeling like most importantly, I was completely safe. I was safer than I'd ever been in my entire life. Um, there were no degrees of safety. It wasn't a conditional safety. It wasn't like, um, I'm pretty safe, but I could be safer or I'm really safe except for this one danger where I could fall into a pile of clouds or, you know, who's this girl? Does she even have a face? There was no thoughts like that. It was just complete encompassing all pervasive love and acceptance. And I didn't feel any concern for, um, you know, the people that I had left behind or the things that I had not done, or, you know, there was no, it was like a seamless integration of peace, love, happiness, acceptance. Um, there wasn't any forgiveness because there was nothing to forgive. And, um, and then as I was feeling more and more confident in that space and wanting to be there, then I um, swung forward. And I was thinking that I was swinging forward to join the little girl or swinging forward into the light. And I passed her. So I thought, okay, I'm going into the light. And then I swung back into my body. Did you have any other experiences after that? No. I mean, when I got back into my body, um, and the interesting thing is how I knew I was back in my body is because I felt pain. And I knew that in the, the space that I was in before, I never would have felt any kind of physical pain. But I felt... Um, heat on my chest and the doctor was saying mary are you with us now are you with us and i said um you know like it took me a minute to feel my voice again and to feel like oh i can make the words come out and i said um yes but i heard my husband calling like a bear like an animal grieving sound and i said you know you really need to help him and she said you know, you're the patient. And I was like, no, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Like you're a terrible doctor. <laughs> There's this guy and he's having a terrible time. But, um, yeah, that was my only experience of having a near death experience. I had my father, my grandfather come visit me when he was dying. Like the moment that he died, he, um, visited me, uh, and he was in his, bed in the hospital and he was singing to me and he was holding my hand and telling me that everything was going to be okay. So my grandfather and I had a really special spiritual connection before that happened with me. Is this the same grandfather that you felt like was with you at the beginning of yeah. your experience? Yeah. Leonard Bergstrom. Nicest guy ever. <laughs> oh. That's great. Yeah. Did you ever get any sense of who the girl was next to you? No. And I've really been thinking about, I mean, I really, it was really such a mystery. And I thought, do I know someone who passed away or is there someone in my life? And she's not anyone that I know. She's no one that I know. So I think that it may have been um, like a distraction for me. You know, there's a lot of like theories that I could have that could, you know, make some sense of it, but I, I felt very safe. I didn't feel like I knew that girl at the time or after, mm -hmm. but I did feel like 
she kept my attention and she kept me feeling really calm and open. Do you have a guess who you think she was? Like perhaps a guardian angel or somebody? It could. I mean, it really, I'm so, I'm, I still feel the same way. I still feel like really um, open to whatever it, it was. Maybe I'll see her again when I pass away. Um, hopefully just one more time. <laughs> uh, maybe another, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but she could have been, you know, a guardian angel. She could have been um, like a manifestation specifically to keep my attention calm. She could have been um, like somebody who visited just for that one particular event. You know, that could be that could be that little girl's job is just to hold people in that space and keep them calm mm. while, you know, while fate is determining the next steps. From what you were saying, it seems like the overriding feeling you got when you were there was safety. Yeah. But did you have any feeling of like unconditional love or overwhelming love or euphoria or anything like that as well? Definitely unconditional love. And that, that's like, I feel like there's, um, unconditional love is the complete absence of fear. And so, you know, when I was there, I felt completely surrounded by unconditional love, not just for me, but for all of humanity and for all of, um, for all beings. And I felt like, you know, there wasn't that idea of fire and brimstone and accountability in my in my experience, I didn't feel like, you know, you've done a really good job, but maybe other people haven't. I didn't feel that at all. I felt like, you know, you humans are unconditionally loved and supported. And even if the experience on earth is really difficult, um, there is a place that you will go back to where that will be a memory. Prior to the experience, were you a religious person? And if so or not, have you changed afterwards? I'm a spiritual person for sure. My mom was getting her um, degree, her bachelor's degree in religious studies when she was raising me. And so I've always been exposed to a lot of different religions and I'm interested in them as a, you know, um, as kind of like a, a human organization, but I am a spiritual person, which I think is separate than separate from religion. So I have a lot of deep love and respect and interest in religions, but I consider myself more of a spiritual person. Do you feel like you have any lasting changes from this experience? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the biggest gift and, you know, um, as I was saying to you earlier, I just feel like there's such a, there's such a gift in not fearing death. And there's such um, a weight that's lifted when you don't have to feel like, oh my God, I don't know what's coming next. Maybe I'm going to be hurt more than I've been hurt on earth. And I don't feel that way at all. I feel like, you know, the space that I came from and the space that I'll go back to is this beautiful, unconditional love. And that's all pervasive. And in the meantime, I'm here on earth and I'm getting such a great opportunity. You know, it's such, it's such a privilege to play the earth game and to be a human and to have different relationships and to learn. Mm. And um, when I'm done with that, I know that I'll go back to a place of complete acceptance, complete peace. So if I can, you know, carry a, a little bit of that, a little nugget of that with me, then that's 
um, then that's just so hugely to my benefit. And if I can share that, then I feel like that's a big part of what I'm meant to do. Um, I was talking to my daughter and my son randomly, the idea of near death experiences came up while we were eating burritos and, um, I hadn't told them, you know, I, it's hard to say, okay, guys, you know, mommy has a bunch of heart attacks because I've had at this point now nine. Mm. Um, so at the time, uh, we were talking about, you know, just what happened at school and my son brought up the idea about, you know, people dying and coming back to life. And he said, you know, why are you looking so funny? Do you know anybody that that's happened to? And I was like, oh gosh, you know, I planned on having this conversation when they were so much older, but, um, I just felt like that was the moment. And so I told my daughter, I hold, I held her hand and I said, you know, I, we're going to talk about this now. And I know that you're scared but I know that we've got this and we're going to get through this together. And if we talk about it now, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And so, cause she was a little bit older and she knew that something was wrong. And there was some reason that we moved from China to the U S but she wasn't old enough or confident enough to articulate what those concerns were. So um, at that time with sour cream all over our faces, we talked about what it was like on the other side. And at the end, um, both of my kids felt really calm, really good. And my daughter made a suggestion and she said, you know, mama, if you know this information and other people don't, shouldn't you share it? Shouldn't you write about it? And so she was actually the one who suggested that I put it out there so that other people wouldn't be afraid to. That's great. Yeah. She's beautiful. If you don't mind sharing, do you have like a heart valve problem or a blood problem? I have something called spontaneous coronary artery dissection. It's called SCAD. And it um, impacts primarily women that are younger, that have no history. They have no risk factors. Um, and a lot of times, although this isn't the case with me because of both of my kids are adopted, but a lot of times the heart attack events can take place around a pregnancy. Hmm. So um, there are a lot of really wonderful SCAD people in the community that I'm a part of on Facebook. And it's been such a gift to meet other people that have gone through this because it's almost like, you know, feeling like in knowing that you can have a heart attack anytime, it's like a, there's like a floor beneath the basement that you didn't know about in terms of like depth of living and skills for how to live in the moment and how to um, manage stress and anxiety and also, you know, manage gra uh, gratitude. So um, that's what I have. And there's a, a number of other people that have it as well. And I've had, uh, you can have one and be done or you can have multiples. And at this point I've had nine heart attacks. I remember a desiccated artery I thought is kind of breaking down like a stroke or something, like the artery starts to leak blood. Yeah. Usually the patients know more about their conditions than most people because yeah. they study it. Can you tell us what's going on, if you don't mind? Oh, not at all. I am so, I'm so happy to have this conversation because I feel like not enough people understand that things can go awry mm -hmm. um, outside of what they've been told or what they expect is going to happen with their bodies. So for SCAD, you have like a vessel here and the blood is shooting through. And what will happen with um, with a heart attack, with a SCAD heart attack, is it will just like 
a little bit of the vessel wall will break and the blood will go through someplace else. Right. And um, so, you know, what's terrifying about that is it can happen anytime. Mm. You know, you and I can be having a conversation. It can happen. It just happened on May 27th on my daughter's birthday. Bummer. <laughs> Sorry, sweetie. Uh, Got to go to the hospital. But it's what's cool about it. What's really amazing, which is like a, you know, a message of, of um, hope and, you know, like thinking that there's a floor beneath the basement. There's also, you know, a lot of space above the ceiling. So my heart has healed itself for all of those heart attacks. And um, at one point I had five heart attacks in a row and the structure of my heart, the function of my heart after a few months of, you know, me doing everything I can to make it better, my heart was functioning better than it had before. Do they keep you on a medication for that? Like a blood thinner or something? Yeah, I'm on medication, but to be honest, you know, these medications are largely uh, sugar pills. Like they're just, it's a kind of a traditional cardiac cocktail because they don't have any real understanding or knowledge about what is it that creates SCAD and how they could minimize its impact. What's fascinating is that it only affects the coronary arteries. So um, in terms of why the coronary arteries, so I have uh, also been diagnosed with the the big sister of SCAD. So SCAD does only affect the coronary arteries, Mm. but FMD, fibromuscular dysplasia, impacts all of the arteries in your body. Mm. So after I had the... um, five heart attacks, which was, you know, my eighth heart attack. I said, Oh my gosh, I really better do absolutely everything I can, even though I've seen amazing doctors. Um, and so I went to the Mayo clinic and the Mayo clinic, they, um, diagnosed me with fibromuscular dysplasia and they found, uh, tears dissections in my coronary artery or my, um, carotid artery Mm -hmm. in my renal, my kidneys and in my leg. And so for um, a year and a half, we had to go and, you know, check on this. And I had the little signs of a stroke um, up on my refrigerator to see, you know, like, okay, well, now I have to watch out for my heart. I also have to watch, watch out for a stroke. And while I was at the Mayo, they also showed me a lot of beautiful imagery of my brain that had shown that there were certain vessels in my brain that had dissected where there was, where they'd healed. So you could see that as well. Hmm. So it just, I left, um, I left the Mayo on that day, just feeling like, you know what, you're just going to have to validate my parking. I'm going to have to go because this is just too much for me to think about. And when I asked them, you know, like, well, if I have to worry about heart attacks and strokes, do I also need to worry about cancer? And they said, well, you know, that's a possibility. And I said, well, what about, you know, getting hit by lightning? Well, that's, you know, that's always a possibility. And, you know, what about, um, you know, getting mauled by wild dogs? Well, you know, like, so I just thought, well, this is too much. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to put the things on my fridge, take the sugar pills and call it a day. I think that's great. You know, just live your life. Yeah. In my opinion, it wasn't your time. So yeah, here you are. Yeah, exactly. And I think that all of the, all of those, you know, all of those vignettes in the meantime have served to really make me feel 
more closely aligned with life and more really aware of the present moment and really um, able to prioritize what's important to me. Did you happen to get any abilities that you've never had before from this, like precognition Mm -hmm. or clairvoyance or something? I think that, I don't know if it's like an ability, but I did, and I guess it would be like, I don't know exactly what it was, but I, I did feel after I had um, that experience for about um, maybe close to a year, I would get really dizzy in certain spaces. And, um, you know, even sometimes I just would be driving with my husband and I would say, well, do you feel that? And it would just be like a little rumbling, rumbling, rumbling. And he would say, oh God, you know, who do I have taking care of my kids? (laughs) This is a mess. (laughs) But I felt things so um, seriously that I had to like leave spaces a lot of the time just to kind of get, get my bearings. And as soon as I would walk across the street or be out of the space, it would go away. And then I would go back into the space and it would come back. I definitely feel a lot um, more open since I had the near-death experience. And uh, what I've learned that I need to work on now is actually not the opening up as much as I need to work on the boundaries and keeping myself you know, safe. Because I do think that there's, I'm just so much more empathic than I used to be. And you kind of feel like you have to shut that down or you start picking up everybody's Definitely. situation. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people come to my channel or to my videos because someone close to them has recently passed away and they're looking for some type of reassurance that life goes on. Mm-hmm. Can you give them any advice or any help with that? Yeah. And I think that I can give some help with that uh, or just you know share my experience based on not only how how I felt and you know the knowledge that I gained from being up on that other level and feeling like, you know, even if there's pain in life, even if there is, you know, mistrust or um, disenfranchisement or abuse, neglect, that when I was up there, all of those things melted away. They fell away. They were not as important. They weren't as big um, and as encompassing as the love and acceptance that I felt. And it just felt so unconditional. So if you're a person um, left the planet and maybe you didn't get a chance to say goodbye or you're worried about them or you feel like I could have done more, I think that you know my experience would just be that everything happens the way that it is meant to happen. And I don't believe that there's any grudges or any, any poor feelings on the other side. And then... Um, also from my experience with my grandfather, who I was, you know, tremendously close with when I miss him, which is often, I just think of him and I know him so well, you know, and I know how much he loved me. And I, if I spend time not doing other things, but just, you know, going on a walk and just sharing memories of him you know, just bringing them more to the, to the present. I feel a continued connection. So I I feel like I miss him, but I don't feel like I'm without him. Right. I would assume that after this experience, you kind of now feel like, you know, that he's out there somewhere. And when you 
when you finally go, you'll see him again. Oh yeah, for sure. And I don't, I don't think that in the meantime, even though I'm not seeing him, he's still a part of my life. You know, I still felt his presence when I got married. I still, you know, when I go pick up my son um, at camp after this, I'll talk to my son about, you know, like I just had this really nice interview and it was so nice. I got to talk about grandpa Leonard and sharing that with them, you know, and having pictures that he has, that he drew or that he painted in the house um, and sharing, you know, pictures and memories of him just makes his life continue on. So he's alive for me in my own world, but then I share him with the people around me so that he's alive in my community as well. If you don't mind sharing with us, why do you think that you have such a special connection with your grandfather? I think that he, um, I think that he is just a really special, special man. And I think that he decided when I was little that I was a special person and that I was a special gift. And I think that his love felt more unconditional to me than anybody else's. So it's not surprising that, you know, that would be the, the string that kind of ties everything together. Cause I remember being, you know, very little and having him hold me up and just being so proud of me. And I didn't necessarily feel that kind of um, unconditional love and affection everywhere. Right. But for him, I always felt it right there on right. the surface. Kind of reminds me of the joke about why does the grandchild and the grandparent have such a special connection? And it's because they have a common enemy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just a joke. That's funny. I've never heard that joke before. Yeah. I think that there is something definitely to be said about, you know, when you're not the parent, you can have a, a different kind of relationship with a child. Mm. And I think that, you know, when you're a child, you're really looking for, is there some, is there, you know, where do I feel the most steady? Where do I feel like I could be special? Where do I get that kind of reinforcement that could lift me above, you know, other trials and difficulties in my life? And I feel like um, he had had his own life and had his own, you know, trials and tribulations. And when we had our relationship, when he was alive, he was really ready to just put so much into me. And that's really been an inspiration for, you know, how I take care of my kids too. I don't feel like I don't take it for granted, you know, that they're, that they're my kids and we're always going to be close. It's, it's not necessarily like that. Like I know that every day they need to feel just like a pinch of that specialness, a pinch of that, like nobody, you know, nobody's forgotten about you. You're the most special person on the earth. And I know that that can make you grow. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Do you happen to recall the other side through any other senses? And that would be hearing anything or smelling anything. No, there's no, I mean, in my experience, there's such a big gap between the other side and this earth. You know, there's nothing that it's almost like all of the words that we have don't really describe the other side. And all of the, um, and, you know, on the other side, it wasn't so much the five senses. It's like the sixth sense, you know, it's like the, the emotion and the feeling and the, the knowing that comes with that, that couldn't possibly be prescribed to, you know, the smell of apples. 
you know, or the smell of lavender. Or um, I do know that when I have a heart attack, in addition to like the pressure, sometimes I do feel the lightness. And I did feel um, when I was in the hospital a few times since then, I've kind of gauged, do I feel this lightness as in, could I be moving over to the other side now? And um, one time when I was in Stanford and I was having a heart attack and it was like my fifth, the fifth one in that stretch. And I thought, no, this isn't that feeling. Um, so I'm really hot. I'm really annoyed. Um, a lot of people are in this room and they look really scared, but it's fine. I'm not going to die. Uh, and then one time I went to Cedars Sinai in, um, no, no, no other hospitals, um, Mount Sinai (laughs) in New York. And, uh, I was in the emergency room waiting and I was like, I felt the lightness again. And I thought, yeah, this could be, this could be that moment. So, and that doesn't have anything to do with like what's going on around me. It's just about me being in touch with my body and me being in touch with what did it feel like on the other side and having that instant recognition. I want to say this delicately. I don't know how to say it delicately, but it, just say what you're going to say. I'm going to say that at least when you're having these episodes, I don't think you're fearful of like, no. okay, what I might be, this might be the end, you know? No, I'm not fearful at all because I also feel like I've had the opportunity at this point, which a lot of people don't get. So I'm very grateful. I don't take it for granted at all, but I've had the opportunity to do what I need to do. So, you know, like I have had a relationship with my kids that's just as strong as I had with my grandfather. And I've had a relationship with my husband and I've had a relationship with my community and my spirituality. And I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to live as big and bold as I can and be as much of a vessel of use and value as I can be. And then when it's my time, I'm also ready to go out in the way that I can, that will be a benefit. So when I felt that feeling, when I was at um, Mount Sinai, I reached over to, um, I told my friend who was with me, I said, you know, this might, this might be happening. And she is um, a really brave and beautiful woman named Alam. And she was, you know, she held me on, on my hand. And then I turned my attention to the guy that was next to me because he was on a gurney and he was really having a terrible time. And, you know, his daughter was there crying, crying, crying. And so I put my hand on his um, gurney and I just prayed for him. That's amazing. So I feel like, you know, every time I go to the hospital, there's opportunities for me to be helpful, to be like a helpful vessel. And so the more I take those opportunities, the better I feel about being alive and the less I feel afraid or nervous or um, hindered by the idea of death. Do you get the sense that the other side is more real than here? Mm-hmm. Like some of my experiences, I believe, will even say here is a joke. There is the real world. Well, I, I do. I get what that is. I definitely get what that is. I think that when you feel something that's that complete, then, you know, being in this world where I, for me, it feels like a video game. You know, so like, how can you, 
um, while you're here, how can you learn as much as you can about being a human being? How can you um, try as much as you can? So it's made me a lot more joyful and a lot more curious and a lot less um, attached to the outcomes because I don't feel like any of these outcomes are really as important. You know, if I uh, get money or get a house or, you know, the most important thing is, am I learning to be a good human? Because at the end of this, I already know there's a beautiful resting place for me, for my soul. And then I also believe in reincarnation. So I believe that, you know, after that's done, if I've cycled through the lessons that I have to learn in this lifetime, then um, hopefully for the next lifetime, I can cycle through more lessons. Is there something in your experience that gave you the belief of reincarnation? When I was um, little, like four or five years old, I remember laying in bed and I remember feeling um, not, I don't know if I would say spoken to, but just feeling like this is not all that there is. And um, because, you know, I believe this is not all that there is because there's more out there because I felt um, tethered to something larger than I could put my feet on on earth. I think that uh, that's kind of given me the confidence. And whenever I, whenever I dismiss those thoughts or try to prioritize more, um, more like physical, physical gains, then it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's just so much more important to feel connected to something. And that's just been the way I've always been. Hmm. I've had guests tell me that they visited other worlds. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned that I really enjoyed from one guest was that you don't even have to reincarnate if you don't want to, or you don't, you know, you don't have to come back here. If you want to go to some other world or some other place, it's up to you wherever you want to go. I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm open to whatever that is, you know, if that's, if that's the proposal that I'm given at the time, then I'll certainly consider it. But I feel like right now what I can do is live on this earthly plane and, you know, not take for granted the opportunities that I'm given here. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spend too much time thinking about what could be next, right? because then you really lose out on the opportunities that are right here. I agree completely. Yeah. What do you think inspires you most about your experience? I think the idea of helping people and even just, you know, just talking to my kids about, you know, what happened when I passed away and just having them be conversant in the language of like, um, life is more than just this one plane. And, um, and I think that, you know, for them, like to see them be really empathetic and to see them be big thinkers and to think past, you know, like, what is this life about for me? What do I get out of it? But also, what is it that I can put back into life? How can I make it better for other people? How can I understand what's happening in my world for like all six of my, you know, dimensions and my um, different senses? Instead of just thinking, you know, life is something that's owed to me, I think that they're genuinely curious. So, for me to have that relationship with them where we can talk about things on such a deep level, um, I feel has been like the sweetest experience of this, of my life. Um, 
And then just to be able to continue that on a daily basis and not knowing what's going to come and when I can share these, you know, moments of like sweet, blissful connection with strangers, which is one thing that I really missed during the pandemic is just being able to walk down the street, you know, because sometimes you'll be thinking, um, one time I was in Brooklyn right before we left for the pandemic. And I saw this woman in front of me and she looked like she was carrying a lot of different things. And so I was thinking, you know, is there some way that I could help her? And I was thinking that as I was walking towards her and right before I got to her, somebody came up and helped her. And I just thought there's such beautiful, magical connection when you're intentional about things. And so I love to just have the opportunity to kind of play with that on a daily basis. All right. I'm going to switch gears on you. You have a website. What is that called? Marybergstrom.com. Okay. Um, and do you have anything that you would like to promote? What? I'm not sure what's on your website, so let's go there. Um, what? <laughs> what is the content that's on your website? So, um, in a few years ago, I wrote an essay for the New York Times, which was called "Preparing um, My Family for Life Without Me," and it was in their Modern Love section. Um, and I just realized that you know, putting this essay out there where I talk about what it's like to be thinking, oh, I could be having a heart attack. What is it like to be, you know, settling into life with kids, knowing that this could be, you know, my last year. And I felt um, a certain, I don't want to say responsibility, but, um, you know, it was the time for me to put something up online that kind of received people if they read it, because it was such a, the New York Times is such a large audience in the modern love section in particular. And I just felt like if people um, felt like that resonated with them, then they needed to have a place to go and to connect. And so I created the website as soon as I realized it, which was like two days before the article came out. And then um, I was blogging just to kind of say like, these are the things that are going on with me now to maintain that connection with people. Because I got so many, you know, people whose um, children had passed away or, you know, who were dealing with heart issues themselves or who had, um, you know, cancer in their family or who just were afraid of death or who were just managing their own anxiety. And I just felt like I wanted a net for all of those people. And I wanted a way to kind of maintain that connection um, that would be sustainable. So I have a blog on there. And um, one of these days, I'll finish the book, which was based on the essay. And then that will be up there. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you open for that? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's also why I started the blog, though, because um, it can be a little bit overwhelming to have all of the questions. And that's why I'm, I was really excited to have the conversation with you, because it's a good opportunity to, I mean, I obviously can't have these kind of conversations with everybody. But if I have a conversation with you, and then you can put it out to a larger audience, then um, I can keep working on raising my kids, maintaining my health, trying to finish this book you know, moving on to our next place. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I well, love hearing from people though, but I'm just not as good at getting back, but I do love hearing from them. Well, after this podcast post, lots of people may want to reach out to you. Tell them to do it then. Why? Great. <laughs> All right. Well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you want to share with everybody? Um, don't be so hard on yourselves. 
there's not this idea of, you know, I could do better. I could do more. I just think that we're all so taxed right now. And if there's, if there's some little piece that you can take back from this conversation, it's just the idea that, you know, you are universally and completely loved, um, that there is that love for you and that hopefully when you have the opportunity, you can give some of that back to yourself. And that's a great message. Mary, you are a remarkable woman. And oh, I really enjoyed this conversation with you today. I wish you the best and have a great evening. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.